Hey everyone, this is John, here with a little bonus audio for you. This was recorded when we did our last episode, which was 188, the 2017 summer movie preview. Uh, before we talked about our picks, we got into a little back and forth about what it means to be a summer movie, what tent poles represent to the industry at large, and how the Netflix on-demand release model helps or hurts films that might otherwise have a theatrical release. Unfortunately, we did have some problems with Steve's audio. There's a bit of interference that you can hear in the background for maybe about the first half of this clip, but then it clears up. Either way, the content is good. And rather than leave it on the cutting room floor, we thought you might enjoy it as something to get you through this off week while we ready our next full episode. So here you go. It's Tangent Schmangent with Ronald, Steve, and me. So when does when does the summer season officially start to you? I know there's like a month, obviously like a, a day marker, but what officially makes this summertime for you guys in terms of movies? What prepares you? Is it the May, May time or or is it June for some people? Is it officially June? What does it feel like for you? I when is, know. When do you I know? think I think one of the interesting things, and I know we've like talked about this probably every year. It just seems like every year something creeps a little earlier and earlier into those you know first three or four months of the year that really is a summer movie like or it should be a traditional summer tentpole movie you know but there's so much stuff and there's so much content that like they just can't all open and what traditionally probably you know like may june july august like when they break them out you're you're looking at you know, fall, winter, and summer, when they do these previews for, like, a lot of journalists and outlets, they usually break them out in groups of four months each, usually. So, you know, you'll get, like, you know, the fall, winter, summer preview kits or whatever Entertainment Weekly does. But between the winter and uh, between the winter and summers, like, it's just such a it's such an interesting thing because you have movies like, um, you know, like in years past, like Captain America coming out in April or Fast and the Furious coming out in April or, you know, even you can even say Beauty and the Beast coming out in March. You know, like that's insane. Like that's a billion dollar movie. That's a traditional tentpole movie that would be coming out in the summer or maybe even in the winter. Or Logan coming out in March. Right. Or Logan. These are all like really great examples of movies that, uh, you know, 10 years ago would be clustered around the middle of the summer or right around like the holidays in the winter, you know, around school breaks and winter breaks and things of that sort. But I think when I look at it now, like, you know, for our purposes, like we do kind of like May through August, but it really is, you can look at a schedule and, and you'll usually see that movie. And for the past few years, it's been in April, you know, that really does officially kick it off. And like this year, I guess you'd say it's probably the fate of the furious but like I said, like Beauty and the Beast coming out in March and making, you know, a billion dollars already is is insane. You know, like setting records, that kind of stuff is the stuff that you hear about usually with the summer movies. And, and they come out all, all over the year now. So it's been blurred so much that, you know, it's like these studios fight so much for release schedule space that, that if, you know, they're not scared basically to move their movie from the summer 
up into like April or up into March even, or like John was saying with Logan, you know, like into the first week of March, it's like, that's not that bad anymore because like they're kind of separating themselves from crowds and, you know, but as the longest answer possible to your question, Ronald, I think it's just, <laughs> uh, I think it's becoming blurred every more and more every year. Like it's just creeps earlier, earlier into like April and March and late March because there's just so many movies coming out and, uh, you know, it, it just isn't dependent on those like four traditional summer months anymore. It, it, it gets earlier and earlier every year, it seems. May is when it really kicks in, but I agree with Steve. It's like that April movie is starting to become the one that is like, let's stake out a date that's not already within a week of one of these other giant films. It starts to, it's like you have to move back to April or March now to get a safe place for your blockbuster. In a sense, it seems like the summer movie is still a thing, even even if we now also get summer movies in November and in March and in February. But it's like summer is spreading through the year, not so much that... Um, uh, uh, that those four months mean anything like they used to. However, obviously they are trying to load those months with the types of films that will appeal to people who are looking for air conditioning and want whatever the flashiest thing that's going to keep them awake uh, while they, while they enjoy the air conditioning is some films have an interesting name or an interesting director, but uh, there's no trailer. There's no poster. I feel like those, a lot of those details haven't been laid out yet for some of the smaller releases. I was going to say that when it comes to those, Movies that you're referring to that don't have a trailer, I feel like the release for that is like smaller. You don't have to necessarily have a trailer for something a year in advance or six months in advance anymore. It just kind of drops on you like a Beyonce album. And then, you know, everybody's excited. You don't need as much time for the rollout, which is kind of amazing and scary all at once. But I think that I think that music and Netflix and all these services have kind of inspired the movie industry to kind of work in this this kind of accelerated uh, rollout when it comes to building excitement for movies. So I'm I'm excited about that. I'm kind of curious because I don't see some of the trailers for some of the things I'm seeing posters for, and then boom, two months before it comes out, I'm seeing the trailer, and then I'm I'm excited. I'm pissing my pants. I'm I'm bottom <laughs> naked on some wood, ready to watch something. So, but to be forthcoming, you piss your pants like regularly, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not yeah. directly tied into excitement. <laughs> I just piss my pants, and then I piss my pants more when a movie comes out that I'm excited about. So, <laughs> I have to be honest, Ronald. It's one of the only reasons that I sometimes like the uh, the phoner episodes is because I don't have to deal with all the piss ah, man, that... coming from your pants. It's just your your basement needs a lot less incense <laughs> when there's no piss involved. I get it. I get it. <laughs> so, something I was gonna say, like real quick, like looking at uh, across the calendar, like kind of what John was saying, like these traditional summer movies, like quote unquote. A lot of what I look at, like they are they they're so genre driven, and yeah. You know, you kind of fit in a lot of, like, action, sci-fi, you know, like, a lot of them are that. Or, like, you know, th- in this world that we live in now, like, comic books, you know, like, they're so dominated by big temple genre films that feel massive, though. Like, they are what these summer movies are that just dominate that landscape over those, you know, three or four months. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I was saying too, Ronald, and it's kind of related to what Steve just said, is that with all those giant tentpole films, a lot of the smaller films don't get this wide 
birth as far as all this knowledge we have about them, you know, and all the, the pre-hype right. and everything. But what it, what it does is it makes a list when you're looking four months out, it makes your list a little bit less interesting because you don't know if some of those unknown names that you just see that are coming out in August or July even, I don't know what half of those yeah. movies are. You know, I tried to find some information on some, and some seem really interesting. And I tried to go by uh, studios and see which studios I liked. But even with that, there's, some, there's a big mystery to me. So I'm confident that the best movies of the summer may, may not be the movies that I'm looking at from this vantage saying, I can't wait to see that. So that's the thing that kind of throws me off is just knowing it's like, I'm excited by what you said, like, Oh, that you cannot know about something, especially in the Netflix yeah, age, yeah. this notion of something you didn't even know about that is now coming out in a week or two. And you're going to get to see all of it. I, I think, um, I do think I like that kind of surprise release platform, but it does make it hard to make a list of anticipated things. <laughs> if, if you yeah. have no idea what something is other than maybe a name. I, I I can only compare Netflix to like Ted DiBiase in the '90s buying all these wrestlers. <laughs> it feels like that when I hear about an independent movie, I read a week later that Netflix has acquired it for distribution. It's it's the craziest thing in the world how quickly Amazon and Netflix are scooping up movies, and it's pretty exciting. Quick question about that because uh, mm-hmm. I bet you guys will have an opinion about this. Do you think? Even if it's Netflix, even if it's Amazon, and the the appeal of the model is that they can make it available to everybody at once, right? I mean, that's a huge reason why that's an appealing model. Do you think that that they should that that should continue, and that should just be something that the market kind of adapts to for those properties, or do you think those properties deserve a week, two weeks, a month to be theatrical um, and 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 exist as films in the world before they are seen as? a drop in the bucket of programming you can dial up anytime? Oof, man. That's a good question. That's the, that's I, well, the million I'll, dollar question. Right. I'll say, I think Literally. some of them, <laughs> I think some of the ones like horror genre and stuff like that should get a run because that experience is very unique. Like we've talked about for years and years and years. I think the theater experience is very unique when it comes to horror and and actually certain comedies and things like that. Like it's something about having that group dynamic with people you don't know, being uncomfortable watching something that is pretty unique. And and you know, you can't replicate that in your house. You can, however, have these incredible experiences with a bunch of people watching a movie, which is why I understand why uh Netflix is doing what they're doing and, and Amazon and it's so uh, I'm a little conflicted. But I think that overall it's pretty cool that it's happening, but it also scares me that the theater experience, you know, I, I so I, I, I've had a group experience where we watched uh, a movie at a at somebody's house. It was Memento, and the the lights were off and everybody was watching it. But I've also had experiences where people are texting and things like that, not taking in the movie, Where whereas I don't know if people would do to that and they take it in fully if they were in the theater so i i think that things get lost in that because sometimes i'll talk to somebody about a movie or tv show on netflix and they they don't know anything about it they know like oh a man died in it a man came back or this person betrayed this person but the intricacies they kind of miss because of the way they're taken in the media so that's just me i just that's how i feel what about you guys uh um I think it's really interesting because I think it's 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 really uh, I don't know if you guys ever I don't know if you read that article I sent you like last week from the Ring, the Ringer site about this whole topic of like uh, 
the supply chain for like theatrical versus streaming of, of movies, but they made a really good distinction between something like Amazon and Netflix, where Amazon um, is seems to be making more of an effort to still give their films that they're acquiring or that they're producing, you know, like some sort of theatrical window, like for many purposes or different reasons. And like they're kind of partnering with studios like Lionsgate and Roadside Attractions and, you know, whoever this distributor could be that could get it into a theater where Netflix... It, it really only seemed like they were trying to do that a little bit with uh, the Beast of No Nation, and it didn't really succeed. And I think that they kind of, I don't know if they're going to continue to push that, but it really just feels like they've, they, they, they are like kind of lying in the sand, like we want this to be online, everywhere in the world, day and date for everybody to have. And the article was really interesting because it was just kind of basically talking about how Ted Sarandos, the, I guess, CEO or COO of uh, Netflix was basically saying like the theatrical window is like the only form of media where there is still a window for the content to get to the consumer. And it was really interesting to read that because like putting it in a frame, like comparing it to TV shows and comparing it to music and other forms like of podcasting and and radio stations even like there there if you think about it in the mainstream there is like really no window anymore and um so me personally like while I can say I mean from 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 the from the jump I've been a huge supporter of like the Netflix model and I, obviously we've talked about that many times but from a, a standpoint of like the artistic nature of like a, somebody creating this you know, piece of entertainment that, you know, maybe deserves to be in a theater. I think the reality is, is that that form will always be there. So like these creators of this content have options of whether they think that their, you know, piece of work is best fitted to be put in a theater where maybe people will see it, maybe people won't, or to be put in front of potentially, you know, whatever it is now, like 90 million subscribers, or whatever that number is that Netflix has. So it's like a catch-22. I mean, I don't think that anything is really perfect. I think that the the theatrical window that we are used to now is is going to change drastically in, like, the next five years. And there's, you know, so many different models of, like, you know, these companies that are trying to put, like, a box in your house where you can pay, like, $50 to be able to get a movie the day it comes out in a the theater and watch it at your house you know, on your own system and then you have so many hours to watch it and, you know, you can have your friends over and watch it on your awesome system and then the movie's gone and that replaces going to the theater. Well, obviously theater owners don't want that and they don't want Netflix. Like they don't support these things at all. So it's, I don't know, it's like, it's a really convoluted thing because I think in the end though, it's like these options that are out there right now are really pretty amazing for filmmakers because I think that their uh, access is so broad and wide now that people that are making films are getting films out into the ecosystem in whatever way they see best fits their film or best fits their chance to get their film out. And in one way or the other, their their chance of getting a movie into some sort of distribution stream is like better and higher than it's ever been so it's like you know some filmmakers can decide like you know yeah my next film is going to be 
a big studio film that's going to be in 4,000 theaters in July of 2017. Or you could be the filmmaker that just released, you know, Suicide Squad, who just made, you know, however fucking much money that movie made, and say, my next movie is going to be on Netflix with Will Smith. Like, you, like, that level of a filmmaker has that option, but the guy that's on the bottom of the ladder, somebody like, somebody like Joe Swanberg that we've talked about many times, like, he's very vocal about, like, being in support of the Netflix model and, like, that mentality of just, like, I understand that my movies are the kind of movies that maybe aren't even going to do well in a theater and won't let my career, you know, have any sort of longevity to it. And I don't, and, you know, he doesn't see that as, like, hurting his career or hurting his film, you know? Like, he kind of sees it as, like, this is the, the best, maybe, maybe this is the best possible option for me anyway. And yeah. That's really interesting to me because, like, however it changes, I feel like it's forever going to empower more filmmakers to really have a chance to get content out there. Um, so I don't know. That was a really long answer. Again, sorry, but it's like yeah, I get, I get you. I'm like I'm like super intrigued by this, and I, I've been reading up on it a lot recently after reading that article last week and just seeing like the different possible models there are out there. Okay, I was going to say something really quick about Joe Swanberg. Prior to 2016, I never heard his name ever or anything that he'd ever done outside of my hipster friends and us. <laughs> this year, I heard people talk about Easy over 10 times. And that's nuts to me. So I was just going to say, I, I hear the argument on your side, Steve. So When you hear that a film was purchased by Netflix, it's exciting because that means you know you're going to get to see it, usually pretty soon. You know, usually sooner than if it's picked up by some <coughs> distributor that might take a year to find a spot for it. With Netflix, typically they are pretty quick. Now, that's not to say they haven't sat on a few things. But um, I think that that is exciting. And I, I think kind of what Steve is saying, maybe what you're saying, Ronald, to me the excitement of knowing I'm going to have access to it sort of outweighs my reticence about just what it means to see a movie and the changing experience of what a movie is and and why you would go to the theater to see a movie as opposed to being satisfied with watching it at home. What Joe Swanberg said about his films is very true. Some stuff is very, uh, you know, intimate, and, and watching it at home is helps the experience, actually. It's, it's not a second-class experience. Also, people people are fond of pointing out home theaters have gotten crazy good in recent years too yeah. so you're not really taking that much of a hit in some cases however we all know those moments those films those experiences where being with a giant crowd in a in a loud room where everyone's reacting was part of the experience and i think that's what we're sort of afraid of that going away but you're right steve it probably won't ever go away even if movies become cult classics on netflix there's still the opportunity to have some kind of exhibition where you could go and see them with a crowd and see a movie on the big screen that that warrants it you know like you could Totally. You could go watch Stranger Things on the big screen as it is and probably get in enjoyment out of seeing that with a crowd. So I think that, um, I don't know, I think that the uh, there's not so much to worry about with it, but it is a phenomenon that's definitely happening. And and maybe what we'll see is just movies that are intended to be theatrical hits will just have to become bigger and bigger spectacles. That That's a really good point. That's a really good point. I, I just hope that 3D isn't going to always be a gimmick to bring people into certain types of movies for the theatrical experience. You know what I mean? Like I feel like that became a gimmick after the TVs came out. You know, that, that you know, and it's still doing it. That's still a 3D version of every tentpole movie that comes out. And I hope that it's something else besides that that makes it uh an incentive to come to see the movies. 
And there you have it. We'll see you next week when we break down the first four films in the Fast and Furious franchise. Yes, I'm watching them all. As always, you've made our day. Thank you.